0: Thank you very much. You can be seated. Well, it's good to be back in Charleston, and uh, as as Dad said, uh, we're celebrating four years. It's been an amazing four years, and God has certainly been gracious to us. We're looking forward to many, many more in that ride, right, babe. It's gonna be many, many more. And uh, we're just excited of, at what God's doing in our lives. He's giving us the opportunity to disciple and mentor and empower uh, thousands of students. And we're grateful for that opportunity. I'm thankful that even at, uh, at a young age, you know, still at 26 years old, and I, I get it from, from my parents and your pastor, so I know where it comes from. But I'm, I'm thankful that in my mind already uh, that I've caught a revelation of what it really means to disciple people in the Word of God. Um, And that's what we do with our students. Um, uh, We're not that youth ministry uh, that has pizza parties all the time, and uh, we just go on fun trips. We're that youth ministry that believes in empowering a generation uh, to pursue the call of God that's on their life, and and we have fun doing that. And uh, even this last week, we had students in our youth ministry preaching. We had one of Bethany's small group girls who's a rising sophomore in high school preach the word to her peers of probably 400 students, and that's the stuff that I love sing. And uh, I'm thankful that God is giving us the opportunity to do that. I don't care uh, where you go. Um, it's all about discipleship. It's all about empowering people for the ministry of God. Amen. Amen. And um, and we know that this house is all about that. And are you thankful for your pastors? Amen. That's a good... They're... Uh they're they're exceptional uh parents and pastors and leaders I've seen a lot now had the opportunity to see many and uh and these are first class that you have right here at Legacy Church and uh what makes a first class pastor it's simply a pastor that will open up the word of God and preach it front to back Preach, preach the good, the bad, and the ugly, and uh, and the truth is, is that there's uh, there's many men around the world who uh, who will preach uh, what their congregation wants to hear, perhaps rather than what they need, and uh, and the people will love him for it, but the truth is that he didn't love the people. And uh, you get you get pastors that love people when they preach the uncompromised truth of God's word, and, uh, and so if you have your Bible today, uh, we're gonna preach the truth. Uh, in God's Word and, and I hope today that our minds are open, that we receive new revelation of the Word of God and, uh, and through that we're going to be even further transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Amen? Turn with me to Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1 is where we're going to begin. We're going to start in verse 1. I believe it will be on the screen behind me. I'm reading out of the NIV, and so you could follow along. It says this. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Now, let's pause right here. It's, in, it's important for you to understand right here in this story that Moab is not a godly nation. Okay, it's a nation filled with heathen people, pagan gods, and immorality. That's what lives in Moab. But at this point, Moab has got the goods, it's got the food, and so that's why this particular family is going to to move there. And the man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kileon, and they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem of Judah. And together, they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other named Ruth. And they had lived there about ten years. And both Melon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left with her without her two sons and her husband. And when she had heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them... Back in Judah, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home. So basically, they've gotten word now that food and provision has been brought back to the people of God in Judah. So they're packing up their bags and they're planning to head back to Naomi's homeland, the nation of God. However, Naomi and, and, and Ruth and Orpah, they will be returning by themselves because Naomi's husband and her two sons have now passed away. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting that people pass away in godless country? That people die in godless country. They were worried that because of the lack of food, they were going to pass away in the nation of God when... In reality, they moved to where the food was, but it was in godless country that, that they passed away and they died. That's, that's very interesting. Let's continue in verse 7. When her two daughters-in-law, she left the place, had been living, they set out on the road to take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as he has shown your dad and to me. May the Lord grant each of you that you will find rest in a, another home of another husband. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go, we will go back with you to your people. And Naomi said, listen, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who would, who would be able to be your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I did, even if there was still hope for me, even if I had another husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you wait till they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it would be more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. Then they wept together and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. You need to underline that, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? She says, Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. If you're taking notes this morning, which I highly suggest, I've entitled this message, The Story of Redemption a story of redemption. In fact, that's what the entire book of Ruth is all about. It's just a beautiful, uh, a beautiful story and scenario of of grace and redemption. And I'm going to preach for several minutes this morning, and I want to encourage us in light of evangelism as we wrap up the message, and we're going to get into how this all applies to us witnessing and being the hands and feet of Jesus and telling people about the love of our God, and I just want to encourage us uh, on, and, and bring some fresh revelation out of what we can see from these two women, Ruth and Naomi, Ruth and Naomi, and as we receive revelation and understanding, what it does is it, uh, it allows us to look more like Jesus Christ, and you can hear 300 sermons inside of this year, and if you look nothing more like Jesus Christ than, than when you started the year, then the truth is it's not the messages, it's not your pastor, it's probably your application of God's word. And so this morning, why don't we get our Bibles ready? Why don't we get our pens and paper ready? And let's uh, let's diligently seek understanding in the Word of God this morning. Amen? Amen. Let's pray one last time. Father, we love you, and we do thank you for your Word. God, we thank you that it says in Isaiah, Father, that the the grass will wither and the flower will fade, but it is your word that will remain forever, God. And so this morning, we open up your word, God. Let us see revelation. Let us hear revelation, God. Let us hide it deep down inside of our hearts that we might not sin against you, God, but that we might pursue righteousness and holiness with everything that is within us. God, we love you and we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that you are with us in this place this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said... Amen. Um you know uh, as dad was sharing some of those uh brief stories uh you know growing up um and and being that wild child there was a uh, there were, there were many, many times and many examples, and we don't even have time to get into all of them this morning, but I can remember specifically uh, certain things that I was instructed to do um, that my parents would look at me and they would say, Clay, you are to do this, you are not to do that. And many times when they would say, Clay, you are not to do this, um, I would somehow in my mind try and figure out a way as to how I'm going to do that. Um, it's it's just rebellion. Um, that's what it is. It's just sheer disobedience. And we've all done it and we've all been there. And uh, and what we do is we try to justify why. Well, I, I know that's what they said, but um, but you see, this is kind of this is kind of my justification. This is my little circle that I think by doing it's going to make this appropriate. And And so we come over here and we try to justify even though we've been instructed not to do this. We, we will try to find a way as to how maybe it can fit in. Maybe it can be appropriate. Maybe I, maybe I could do that. And as I read this story and I thought about examples in my own life, that's exactly what's going on here with Naomi and her family. Is that they, they wanted something. Even though they were instructed by God that they had no business being in the land of Moab, they had no business going into this pagan nation, they wanted something. And so what their justification process was, was was food and prosperity. There's no food here in the land of God. There's no food in Judah. There is food in Moab. So that's a pretty good good excuse. Why don't we travel into Moab and, and check it out? They had no business being in Moab. How do we know that? Well, Numbers chapter 25 tells us that sexual immorality was in Moab. That's why they had no business being there. Deuteronomy chapter 2 tells us that, that God tells Israel that they're not ever going to receive the land of Moab. That, that it's no concern of theirs. They got no business even worrying about it. In Deuteronomy 23, the Bible says that Moab's not even welcome in the assembly of the Lord. And in Judges chapter 3, Moab actually rules over Israel for a period of time as punishment. Okay? Okay. So this is a, a pagan, heathen people They had no business being there. What I want to do is I just want to draw three quick revelations this morning, three things that I found as I was studying the scriptures, three things that the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and we're going to move quick. Number one, the first thing is we need to learn to stay out of godless country, stay out of godless country. You see, this is where our story begins inside of Ruth chapter 1, with immediate disobedience to God's word and God's direction. Immediate disobedience. And so it is many times in the life of the Christian. When we look at at our world and things are going belly up and everything's falling apart and it's turning chaotic and out of control, many times it can always be traced back to rebellion and disobedience to God's word and God's direction. Most, most every time. In fact, you know, the book of Ruth doesn't even really give us a, a specific reason as to why the famine was in the lands of Bethlehem, which interestingly enough means house of bread. OK, not at this point, uh, but the Bible does define this period of history by saying that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Okay, so it could be assumed that the famine was uh, indeed a direct punishment because of wickedness and rebellion uh, on behalf of the people of God. Well, well, Pastor Clay, I mean, you know, uh, Naomi and her husband, they were just uh, they were just trying to do something good for their family. Is it wrong to want to provide for your family? They were just they were just trying to get some food on the table and there was no food. There was a famine. That's that's the only reason they were going to Moab, Pastor Clay. I I understand why they were going, still doesn't justify wandering into godless country. Still doesn't justify wandering into godless country. You see, when it comes to obedience to God's word, there is not a good enough excuse to wander into disobedience. There's not a good enough excuse. God's laws and decrees are not up for debate. You see, we need to get our democracy mindset out of the word of God. It doesn't fit there. And, 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 and when it comes to the things of God and the word of God, it's not based on majority vote. Okay? It's not democracy. It's lordship. And what he says goes. And when he decrees and when he makes something very plain, there is not a good enough excuse that you have in your book that measures up. To the law of God and what he's asking us to do. But yet we still see this today. We got Christians who know right from wrong and sin from righteousness. But yet they will try to justify and abandon the place of God and the people of God. And try to figure out why they need to wander back into godless country. You got no business being in godless country, and we see this happening all the time by, by way of a few examples. I hear this all the time. Well well, Pastor, I just I just got more friends at my other hangout than I do in the church. They're just they're just better friends to me. Oh, where's that? The club? Is that where it is? The the, the bar scene, is that where your better friends are? And and, and we try to justify. It well well pastor i'm just i i know i'm I'm dating this new person, oh really that's great. Where do they go to church? Well, you know they're just not really in church right now, you know they just uh they just had had some issues you know they they say they're atheists i i 'm going to lead them to the Lord oh really really okay all right okay we we, we call, I call that false righteousness that's what I call that um those who justify hanging out with the most filthy wicked. Just nasty group of sinners because they think they're going to lead them to the Lord. That's what I'm talking about. When in reality, that person themselves is so undiscipled, undisciplined, unrenewed. They have no business wandering back into godless country. And here's what I've noticed about godless country. The truth is, is that when most people justify wandering back into godless country, they never come back out. They never ever come back out. Pastor Clay, are you saying that we should not uh, witness to lost people in the bad parts of society? Should we not tell people in the bars and in those places and in those scenes about the love of Jesus? After all, Pastor, it says in 1 Corinthians, you know, Paul said, I've become all things to all men so that by all means possible I might win some. You know I mean? That's the word of God right there, Pastor. No, I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that, but you need to understand this about a godless country. There are those who went and there are those who are sent. Into godless country. And those who went, they go in their own strength. They go in their own understanding. And they will most assuredly fail. But those who are sent, are sent out by the Spirit of God. They're discipled. They're full of revelation. They're renewing their mind each and every day on the things of the Lord. And when they go out, there is power and there is authority. And the Holy Spirit leads and the Holy Spirit guides. There's a difference between those who went into godless country and to those who were sent into godless country. I mean, Paul himself, the greatest missionary evangelist that the world's ever seen, the apostle Paul himself, didn't even start traveling and preaching the gospel until 12 years after his conversion. 12 years. What was he doing for 12 years? Some people look at it and say, man, that's a lot of time wasted. That's a no. why, why was he wasting so much time? That's, listen, understand this. If you will take time to get discipled and renewed, then you will actually accomplish more for the kingdom of God in less time than if you had more time and less of his spirit. That's why discipleship is important. That's why I- I- renewing your mind is important. That's why all of these things that I know that are coming out of this local house are important. Because it sends us out with power. And we just don't go flippantly into godless country where we will surely not return. And sometimes, you know, I, 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 see, I see Christians that have been saved for, what, one or two years? And they've only been in church maybe 50% of that time. And they try to justify why they need to go back into godless country. No, you don't. And they try to justify Pastor Clay, you know, I, thought, I thought you said we were going to talk about evangelism today. This doesn't really sound like evangelism. sounds kind of like the opposite of evangelism. So It sounds like you're telling us not to witness to people. No, I'm not saying that. We need to evangelize 100% because we're living in dark days, and days are just getting darker and darker and darker. But what I am saying is that you need to prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. Okay, I'm going to prepare myself. I'm going to prepare myself. I'm going to read more of the Bible. I'm going to listen to more messages. No, no. See, most Christians don't need more messages. You just need to walk in obedience according to the ones you've already heard. You just need to walk in obedience. Here's what I I, I learned about most Christians. Most Christians are educated way beyond their level of obedience. Way beyond their level of obedience. We need to prepare ourselves. We need to be obedient. For, For compromised Christians will not survive what is to come for the church of Jesus Christ. Christians that are compromised, you know those people, middle of the road, path of least resistance uh, kind of people, they will not endure godless country. It will only be those that are deeply rooted in the word of God and constantly led by the spirit of God. You see, when, when a compromised Christian walks into godless country, even if the intent of their heart is okay, when a compromised Christian walks into godless country, they always get more than they bargained for. They always get more than they bargained for. Naomi and her husbands, or husbands, good grief. Naomi and her husband and sons, they went to Moab looking for food and provision. But but I want you to look right here in, in Ruth chapter one, verse four. It says this about Naomi's sons: they married Moabite women. But wait a second. I thought we were going to Moab for food. I, I thought we were going to Moab because. We needed some goods. We needed to stock our pantry up. I I thought that's why we were going to Moab. No, you see, compromised Christians always get more than they bargained for when they walk into godless country. And for the people of God during this time, it was against the law for them to marry and create unions with pagan people. But yet that's exactly what her sons did. That's exactly what they went to do. You see, you will always get more than you bargained for when you wander into godless country. And what I saw as I was studying this passage is that Moab, you see, it had what the flesh desired for Naomi and her family. Their flesh desired food. Their flesh desired that provision. And so they made a decision to pick themselves up from the people of God and the place of God and to walk into godless country because that's where they thought that their flesh could be desired. That's where they, it, it could be satisfied. They thought, I could, I could go to this place, my flesh will be satisfied. But yet it was in that place that the lives of her husband and sons were claimed. Not in the place of God. Not with the people of God. I, I began to think about that and I was talking with my wife, Bethany. And it, and it all of a sudden just hit me. Did, did Naomi and her family, how quickly did they forget? I, I feel like I've read this story before. I mean, people of God, no food around. This is ringing a bell. Oh, that's right, when the Israelites fled Egypt. But yet, what did the Lord do? He, he provided manna. He provided quail. He provided provision even in the midst of the wilderness. How quickly they forgot the God that they serve. How quickly they, they begin to justify why they needed to travel into godless country. It's the same God who just, who just years before, I mean, I mean, it, it was still a story that was pretty amazing that was being passed down about what the, what the God of Israel did for the Israelites and, and all of this stuff. I mean, they surely would have known that story. But how quickly they forgot. And it was a desire of the flesh that took their family into godless country. It was it was a decision of the flesh that took them into a place they did not need to go. And every time in my life personally, growing up through high school, college, adulthood now, all of these times, every time I found myself in a rough spot um, in my journey with Christ, perhaps headed down a road I didn't need to go, it was always because of my selfish flesh. It was always because of my selfish flesh. Here's what I've learned. God doesn't take people away from God. God doesn't take people away from God. So I get this, I, I, I get this college student, this guy who comes up to me and he says, uh, Pastor Clay, I got this new girlfriend. I'm saying, okay, cool. Well, is she a Christian? Well, no, not really. I'm going to win her to the Lord. Okay. And I don't see him for the next six to eight months. I don't see him. Then he comes wandering back in and I say, bro, where have you been? Like, what, well, what's going on, man? What, are, are you still dating that girl? What's going on? Yeah, just still trying to win her to the Lord. You know, I just believe that, you know, the Lord just has me in this relationship because I'm just going to preach Jesus to her. No! You're an idiot! Because God doesn't take people away from God. And if it was truly of the Lord, then you'd still be in church hearing the good news of Jesus being discipled. But the fact that I haven't seen you in a coon's age and you're still out there doing God knows what, no, that's not of the Lord. God doesn't lead people away from God. Your selfishness led you away from God. It was your selfishness. It was your flesh that led you away. God doesn't lead you away from his house. And you see, famine represents, it represents struggle, represents trial, it represents pain, it represents perhaps a cross to bear inside of our life. And I wonder how many Christians, when the famine hits their life, actually stop and intercede and pray and weather the storm. And then how many Christians just immediately try to justify why it's time to pack up and leave where God has you? Has it ever occurred to you that maybe the famine is not of the enemy? Ever occurred to you that maybe the famine is simply a cross? Just a cross? It's foolishness to even think of escaping a cross that God has laid in our path when you ought to pick up and carry it. When it comes to famine, you know, don't just sit down and strategize and plan your way to escape it. Especially when you know that you're in the place that God wants you to be. Don't just sit there. Sometimes when struggle and trial and famine hits the life of a Christian, most of us, especially us evangelicals, we sit down and we just start casting out demons and binding strongholds and all these different things. We're rebuking the devil. When sometimes I wonder if it's actually not the devil. It's simply a cross that's been laid in our path for us to carry and carry well all the way, glorifying the Son, Jesus Christ. All the way, glorifying. You know, I pray when I get to heaven one day, I pray that God doesn't look at me and say, you know what, Clay? You spent a lot more of your life uh, trying to escape the cross than picking it up and carrying it. Need to pick those crosses up sometimes it's not of the devil, it's not of the enemy. Sometimes it's there because it's just an opportunity for you to pick up your cross, exercise your faith, put your trust solely in the hand of God, and begin to weather that storm. And you know what will happen is on the other side of that storm, you'll look more like Jesus. He preaches the gospel to us in this way. You'll look more like Jesus on the other side. It's amazing. The second revelation I had as I was reading these scriptures is, number two, the power of resolution. The power of resolution, the story goes on to tell us in verse 6 that food and provision actually came back to the people of God and the nation of God. Isn't that interesting? It always does, uh, because God is a good God. And so Naomi plans to return home now, but she tells her daughters-in-law to stay behind and not to come home with her. And I began to think to myself, what's going on here? Does Naomi not like them anymore? Does she not want to hang out with them? Does she not want them uh, to come with her? What's going on? Why is she telling them to stay? And I thought about this, you know, by this time in the story, Naomi is probably thinking to herself and realizing that this little trip into godless country might have not been the best of ideas. Because in a span of 10 years, she's now lost her husband and both her boys. They're gone. She lost what was precious to her. And now she's heading back into the nation of God. Did Naomi not want her daughter's-in-law to come with her? What is going on? No, I think she absolutely did desire that. She did desire for them to come with her. But she knew that it would have to be a decision they made for themselves and not on her account. They got to make the decision for themselves. Why is that, Pastor Clay? Because obligated, compromised converts are of small value. Obligated converts are of small value. You see, those who make a decision to follow Jesus Christ must first sit down and count the cost, and then make a deliberate profession of faith upon Him. That's that, that's what we do. For how can you be saved when you don't even know that you're in need of being rescued? Well, what's the cost then, Pastor Clay? What what's the cost that we have to count? Well, Galatians two verse twenty tells us, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. The life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So that's the cost. What's the cost? Dying to yourself. Being crucified with Christ, that's the cost. Matthew 16 says that uh, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. So what's the cost losing your life? That's the cost right there. A true disciple of Christ is one, I wrote this down, that walks in the same way that Christ walked in, that is led by his spirit, that treads in his steps, that goes where he goes, and that denies himself each and every day. Loses himself each and every day. I mean, listen, there are thousands of people who lose their souls for the smallest gain and the most worthless indulgence. They, they they will lose their soul for the most worthless thing. And listen to me, church. Whatever is the object for which men forsake Christ, that is the price at which Satan buys their souls. Whatever is the object for which men forsake Christ, that is the price at which Satan buys their souls. See, we got to, the, the, the Bible says that the redemption of their souls is costly. The Bible tells us. So why did Naomi not pressure her daughters-in-law to come back to Judah with her? Why did she not pressure them? Because she knew that they got to count the cost for themselves. They got to count the cost and realize this thing for themselves. I mean, keep in mind that the people of God in Judah, I mean, the people of God have have now been on this roller coaster for for years and centuries and ups and captivity and, and release and ups and downs and judgment, slavery, famine, all of this. I mean, it's crazy. And, 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 and because Naomi knew this, if there was anything in Ruth and Orpah that, that still desired their own people more than the people of God, then Naomi knew that when the testing and the trials come, they will abandon that place and they will go right back to where they came from. You see, you can't just come with me because you feel sorry for me or you feel obligated to me. You've got to count the cost for yourself. Make a decision in a profession that you are all in because I'm here to tell you there will be trials and there will be tests. And if you are not deeply rooted and resolution is not in your mind about the things of God, then you will abandon and you will leave and go back into godless country. Naomi knew this. Naomi knew this, and that's why, that's why it was so important. Every disciple must count the cost, because halfway Christians will not inherit the kingdom of God when tests and trials come. They will depart from Christ, and they will not withstand Because their heart is not fully with Christ. But look at verse 16. I love, 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 love what Ruth declares. I love what she says right here. It says, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. I love that. You see, this is the power of resolution. This is the power of resolution. You see, church, the other daughter-in-law, Orpah, she loved Naomi too. I mean, 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 she loved her. She loved Naomi, but yet she did not love her enough to leave godless country for her sake. She didn't love her enough. And in the same way, many people have a value and and an affection for Christ, but they fall short of salvation by him because they will not forsake other things for him. they love him yet they leave him because they don't love him enough but but rather they love other things better that that's 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 unfortunately a lot of people but here's ruth she's she's an amazing example of a grace and redemption that's going on here. She could not have given a better response to Naomi. She couldn't have said it any better. She resolved in her heart and made a distinct decision to follow the one true God and the people of God. You see, here's what I've realized, church. The power of resolution silences temptation. The power of resolution in your heart and in your mind silences temptation. Those that pursue the things of God without a, without a steadfast mind, those that pursue the things of God without their mind being renewed and resolved, what you're doing is you stand, it's like you're in a house with the door wide open for the thief to come right in. But when there's resolution in your heart and in your mind about the things of God, you shut and you lock the door and you're able to withstand your ground. You don't just invite the thief to come in. And maybe there's things in your life that you struggle with right now, and it's the same junk that you always struggle with. It's the same stuff. It's nothing new. It's been there for the last 20, 30, 40 years, and for some reason, you can't shake it. Well, perhaps it's because you've never had resolution in your heart and in your mind about it. You've just been trying. Stop trying and resolve it in your mind by the Spirit of God. You can't do it by yourself. You're going to need the power of God in this. But you do it and you resolve it and you make the decision up. You make the, I tell our students all the time, I want you to try. I don't want you to try Christianity anymore, okay? Christianity is not some 30 day free trial that you get at the gym, okay? You don't like it, you'll just take it back. Stop trying this thing and commit your life. It's only those who lose their life in this will they ever find it again. It's not a buffet where you just, I'm going to take a little bit of that. I'm going to take, a, I don't know if I want green beans today. I don't want any of that. No, no, no. We lose our life in this thing. That, that's, that's when the power becomes available. And resolution is powerful in our mind. And not only did Ruth have resolution in her heart, but look at verse 14 with me. Ruth chapter 1, verse 14. says this, the three women were together and they wept together. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. The Holy Spirit spoke to me as I read that one verse, and He said, "You know what, Clay? There's a difference between kisser's and clingers. There's a difference between kisser's and clingers. You see, what 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 a kisser does is kiss- kissing is just like that, that little uh, just little top of the surface flirtation. Now that that's, that's what kissing is, really." And there's a difference. When I look, I see a lot of people in the church, and they have this little kissing spirit when it comes to the things of God. What does that mean? It means they like to flirt with Jesus a little bit. They like to, they like to flirt with the things of God a little bit. I'm not, I'm just I'm not going to commit. I, I'm not really a committed guy. <laughs> I just like to flirt really. I'm just and, and, and so they just they just flirt. That's all they do. And and they got this kissing spirit. But then there's Ruth, who clung to Naomi. There's Ruth who clung, I pray that a generation is rising up inside of the church of Jesus Christ, that we're not going to be satisfied with our little kisses and flirtation with the things of God, but we are going to wake up every single day, wrap our arms around the cross, and remember the sacrifice, recognize Jesus, that he is the way, the truth, the life, and we cling to the things of God. We cling, we don't, we, don't, we don't just give a little flirtatious kiss to the things of, I'll, I'll see you later. I'll see you next Sunday, Lord. Thank you very thank you much. No, we cling each and every day to the things of God. And there's power in that. There's power in that. And there's a difference. We need to be a generation that holds tight. Holds tight to the things of Jesus. Recognize Him. Believe in the resurrection. I'm here to tell you that is our only hope in this world. Is the resurrection of of Jesus Christ. In fact, Romans tells us the reason we have Scripture. It tells us that all Scripture is profitable. And it tells us that that we have everything in Scripture so that we might have hope, is what the book of Romans tells us. It's all about hope. There's only hope in Jesus. There's only hope in in the recognition. You know, I thought about Easter Sunday. It's obviously a few, few weeks ago now. About Easter Sunday, thousands of people coming into churches all over the world and hearing messages by pastors and they probably sat down. I began to think there was probably a lot who sat down and and the preacher gets up on stage and he begins to preach about about the cross. He begins to preach about the blood of Jesus. He begins to preach about the tomb and the resurrection and, and all of those things. And and I would imagine there's probably some people that sat in congregations and they're looking at themselves saying, oh, here's another here's another message about the cross. Here's another message about the blood of Jesus. Here's another message about that tomb. Here's another message about the resurrection. Well, friends, I, I, I want to say this. What other message is there? What other message is there? Do you understand that for the life of a Christian, you are basing not only your current existence, but your eternal existence on one man? And if he is a liar, and if he is still dead, then we have no hope. Paul, Paul says that, that we are most pitiful, that we're futile. That we are most pitiful if Christ is still in the grave. But I'm thankful that he's not in the grave. That he is alive. That he is well. That he moves. His spirit hovers over the waters. That he's moving. that, That Jesus Christ right now sits up in heaven next to God the Father. And he intercedes for all of us. Did anyone pray for you today? As a matter of fact, yes. The King of Kings prayed for you this morning. This is our faith. This is our God. What other message is there? And we cling to the cross in the person of Jesus. And we resolve in our mind what the word has to say about him. So that when temptation comes, we can silence it. We can stop the evil one. Amen? That's the power of resolution. Number three, the third revelation I had, and this is the last one, is we need to learn to drop the label. We need to learn to drop the label. Read with me in Ruth chapter 1. Go back to verse 19. So the two women went. On until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? So in other words, they they see him coming into town and say, Naomi, what's up, girlfriend? I haven't seen you in a while. It's been a a little while, but it's good to see you back in town now. You look look good, all right, coming back in town. And look what Naomi says. She says, do not call me Naomi. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has been very bitter to me. He's made my life very bitter. You see, Naomi means pleasant, means amiable. That's what, that's what Naomi means. Mara means bitter. It means bitterness. So she's looking at them. She's saying, don't call me pleasant anymore. Okay? Call, call, call me bitter. Okay? I had I had a husband and two sons when I left. I'm coming back. I got, I got, I don't, they're gone. They've passed away. Okay, don't don't call me pleasant. Call me call me bitter, and, and I love, and as I begin to read, you know, the book of Ruth is only four chapters, and we're just in chapter one today, but you know what, I, I, I read the rest of chapter one, I read chapter two, I read chapter three, and I read chapter four, and you know what I realized, is that no one ever called her Mara, no one ever called her Mara, and I begin to think and look at that, and I thought to myself, isn't that a beautiful, amazing picture of what the people of God should be? Isn't that just the perfect example of how the people of God should be? Because there will be those, undoubtedly, who will leave the place of God. They will have justified in their mind why they need to wander away. And they'll wander away and they'll go back into sin and wickedness and and just ridiculous stuff. But you know what? One day they're going to wake up. They're going to recognize that maybe this last 10 year span wasn't a very good idea. And I've lost a lot of precious things around me. And they're going to find their way back into the house of God. They're going to find their way back into Legacy Church. And you know what the people of God do in that moment? They don't look at that person and say, told you so. I told you so. That was a dumb idea, wasn't it? You shouldn't have gone out there. No, thank God they never called her Mara. Thank God they never spoke to the negativity. They never looked at her and they said, "Yeah, you are pretty jacked up right now. You are pretty messed up." No, they looked at her and they said, "You know what? I I I, I heard a little bit about what happened, but I refuse to speak to that negative stuff." I give. We don't we don't speak those labels here in this camp. We don't use those titles here in this church. We're going to declare the goodness and the faithfulness of our God over one another, and we're going to lift each other up, and we're going to understand where God is bringing us. When the people of God get them back, thank God they didn't call her Mara. Thank God they didn't look at her and say, you're right, you are bitter. You are messed up. I don't know if you can get back on track after that one. They looked at her and they said, "Well, okay, whatever. We're going to call you Naomi. Because regardless of what you think about, about the Lord, we know that he is in this place. That his spirit does reign in this camp. And we look at one another and we encourage one another in the Lord. And we speak about the goodness and the faithfulness of our God and we drop the labels. It's amazing. People of God don't look at labels. We don't use that stuff. We look at each other and we open up First Peter chapter 2 when the Bible says you are a, pr- a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people belonging to God. That's what we say to one another. We open up Romans chapter 8, verse 18 when it says our present sufferings are not worth comparing With the glory that will be revealed in us in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? In other words, your present label and title isn't even worth mentioning. Because the glory that is set before us in Jesus Christ far outweighed any of that. And I know there's probably people in here this morning and and you've been labeled and you've been titled perhaps by, by others. Maybe you've even been labeled by yourself. And I'm here to tell you, I, I know this church and I know your pastors and you have just walked into a community of believers that will not look and speak to your negativity, but they will look and they will call the purpose and they will call the destiny of Jesus Christ out of your life. They will encourage you. They will get you on a path that will allow you to be discipled and have your mind renewed and walk in all that God has called you to walk in. Amen. That's what happens in this camp. So what does this have to do with evangelism? Clay, what does this have to do with us telling people about Jesus? Well, we just went to, through those three things. And I, the band, if you want to go ahead and come on up, you can come up. We're going to pray here in just a minute. We looked at number one. You know, the first thing, before we're ever able to effectively communicate Jesus Christ, I believe this just laid out a pretty a pretty good scenario for us, a pretty good three-step little process First thing is we need to prepare ourselves and renew our minds and be led by the Spirit of God before we ever wander out into godless country. So before you can even go to where the lost are, you need to make sure that you are prepared. And if you're sitting in here this morning and you realize, I'm not discipled. I'm not a disciple. I, 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 don't, I don't feel like I have a good hold of, of what the Word of God says. I don't know if I could lead someone to Jesus. I don't know if I know the, the foundational princi- principles of our doctrine and our faith and all those things. I, I, I know that's being taught inside of this house. I know those things are being discussed and taught and preached. And that's why maybe you just need to, maybe you're in a season right now where you just need to take a little bit of time before you go wandering back into where you came from. Maybe you need to sit. Maybe you need to hear. The Bible says, He who has an ear, let, let him hear the Word the Lord. Maybe you just need to hear, get your mind renewed again, get your spirit ready so that you can prepare yourself to go back into godless country. Number two is, you know, as we go out to minister the gospel of Jesus, we got to go ahead and have that resolution in our heart because you're going to encounter temptation. Undoubtedly, it's going to be there. You're going to encounter that stuff. Perhaps it would be the same stuff that you got delivered from, but now you got the spirit of God, but you still need to have resolution in your heart and mind. And you you resolve it and you get ready so that when you go back out, you can silence temptation from the evil one. And then number three, when we encounter people that are in need of the love of Jesus, we don't look at them and label them. We drop the labels and we embrace with love. We embrace with love. That's what we do as the people of God when we witness to other people. Why don't we go ahead and stand to our feet this morning?